2: From vanguard to Nobel Peace Prize, the life of David Trimble.
1: The Nobel Prize Committee has rewarded the courage and the people of Northern Ireland. David Trimble, as unionist leader, took up the challenge of peace with rare courage, negotiating and beginning to implement the Good Friday Accord.
2: Baron Trimble of Lisna Garvey has died. He was 77. He was best known for convincing most Ulster Unionists to support the Good Friday Agreement.
3: We are at a very important point in our history. Anybody who thinks that in 1998, the Unionist people can impose their will on all the people of Northern Ireland is deluded.
2: At the time, that stance came at a great personal and political cost. And for Mr Trimble to talk about changes, to say that he has amended this document. No, did. To say that he has
3: brought in <laughs> great We're going add David. We're not going to get simple majority rule. Really. We will have to take nationalists with us. But again, we thought we were going to do things otherwise. No <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: David Trimble was born on the 15th of October in 1944. He died after a short illness on the 25th of July 2022. Professionally, he taught law at Queen's. He was the first First Minister of Northern Ireland from 1998 to 2002, leader of the Ulster Unionist Party from 1995 to 2005, MP for Upper Ban from 1990 to 2005 and MLA for Upper Ban from 1998 to 2007. He entered the Lords in 2006. David Trimble leaves a wife, Daphne, and four children. I spoke to Lord Trimble's former UUP colleague, commentator Alex Cain, the Northern Ireland editor of the Belfast Telegraph, Sam McBride, and artist Colin Davidson. Sam, thanks for coming in. Sam, who was David Trimble?
0: David Trimble was the leader of Ulster Unionism, who primarily will be remembered for signing the Good Friday Agreement, for negotiating that seminal accord, that um, real um, compromise agreement between unionism and nationalism, the most lasting um, and really the only significant agreement that there has been in the history of Northern Ireland, um, which has endured between unionism and nationalism. Um, It was attempted at, at Sunningdale in the 1970s, that fell apart very quickly, and what Mark Trimble and his agreement, which he struck with John Hume and to a certain extent with Gerry Adams, um, out from that is that it has endured. He is the person who um, has crafted, with Hume primarily and with the British and Irish governments, has crafted the landscape in which we live in Northern Ireland. Twenty-five years almost after that event, so this is someone who is a figure of historical significance. That was clear in his lifetime. It's clear now that he has died, and it will be clear many. Many decades hence.
2: Alex, you know, for many people, David Trimble is someone who we've seen on the television performing, I suppose, as a politician. But what sort of a man was he to spend time with?
3: Well, I suppose in many ways he was difficult because he was not a clubbable man. He was not, he, he could be very socially awkward. Once he got to know you, once you, once you got into the, the circle of friendship, once he got to trust you uh, and so on, he was actually, he could be very entertaining company. Um, but, uh, most of my time, it would have been through the politics through the assembly that I got to know him but we we we, we even though I had difficulties we had difficulties with each other and, <laughs> on some issues well, we were able to build a very civil uh, uh, and very friendly relationship over the years and he was someone who who I admired enormously and who who I valued enormously as well because i I think he was um hugely important for unionism, particularly the form of unionism I believed in, which was you know, reaching out, trying to to build and uh, new bridges and to, to find a new way of doing politics in Northern Ireland. And I think for all of those reasons, I found myself attracted to what he was doing.
2: You know, in terms of nationalists and Republicans and even some unionists, perhaps that, that jig down the Garvahie Road um, with Ian Paisley cemented an image of a man, perhaps unfairly, who was uh, quite the hardliner.
3: Well, I think, is yes. when David Trimble was elected leader of the Ilseunas Party back in September 1995, it was a few weeks after the the, the, the infamous jig hand-in-hand in hand with Ian Paisley down the Garvacky Road at the height of Drum Cree. And there are people in nationalism, republicanism, and, uh, as I said, the British and Irish governments, along with the Americans, who saw his election as the election of a hardliner, someone who wanted to outflank um Ian Paisley, but when I spoke to Trimble himself about this in an interview a few years ago, he said it, it was m- much, much more than uh, the drum creed, which he admitted had some impact but he said it was because after 16 years of James Molyneux when the Students party basically had done nothing and when unionism was getting further and further, you know, stuck in the quagmire of, 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 of nothing happening and no change and its interests being ignored and being pushed to the window ledge of the union, he, he told me his pitch to the, at the leadership uh, meeting was someone who would take the old this message anywhere it needed to go, as someone who would be prepared to talk to everybody. And remember, this leadership election came uh, about a year after the IRA ceasefire. It became a year after it became clear that inter-party talks, which would almost certainly at some point involve Sinn Féin. Um, uh, we're, we're coming down the line, and he said that's what did it because he said I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm not going to turn this party away into some sort of insular. We're talking to nobody. He said I will take our message where it needs to be taken. I will talk to whoever it needs to be taken or talk to. And if that means huge decisions be, to be made by the party, then huge decisions will will be made by this party. And again, it goes back to the the, the point that. He'd learned from Sunningdale that if unionism is to make progress, it can't just destroy things, it can't just say no, it has to have alternatives ready and it must be prepared to sell those alternatives to anyone and everyone who will listen. And I think within a matter of weeks, all sides had accepted that David Trimble, whatever his, his reputation may have previously been, was clearly a man who was willing to talk and I think that made a huge difference.
2: And those talks ultimately led to the Good Friday Agreement. Did you have any doubts during that process that David Trimble was going to sign up for the Good Friday Agreement and make the case for the Good Friday Agreement in the in the Unionist community?
3: Oh, I think there were doubts all the way through because it was it was an enormously difficult sell, particularly when it became clear. I think the biggest moment, the biggest real hurdle he had to face, which could have destroyed him, could have destroyed the party, and certainly damaged the party, was back in July 1997 when Tony Blair decided that, who had just become Prime Minister a few weeks earlier, decided that he was going to allow Sinn Féin into the talks process without uh, full commissioning that was a huge step because at that point the Democratic Unionist Party and Bob McCartney's United Kingdom Unionist Party, the two, two of the three main Unionist blocs walked away, refused to have any part of this which left David Trimble and uh, the, the David Irvine's PUP and Gary McMichael's UT, UDP that was an enormously difficult challenge for unionism, or else unionism because it meant that David Trimble was sitting in negotiations with loyalist paramilitaries the other two mainstream leaders were outside the block he took the risk he took it to the 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 party executives they backed and they allowed him to run the strategy but there was no guarantee at that point that you know whatever it was eight or nine months later that they would reach fruition because there was a feeling across many circles including government circles that something would, 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 would bring the whole thing collapsing down, either something Sinn Féin said or did, or something the loyalist paramilitaries said or did, or something somebody else said or did. So even in taking that huge risk, Trimble of No Guarantees, uh, that it would pay a benefit. But it's, a, I think it's, a, it's an example of, of the man himself that once he had committed himself and committed his party to a talks process, he was not going to allow anyone else to force him out. And also, as he said at the time, privately, you know. Yeah, I can walk away from this. I can join the DUP and Bob, I can walk away from this. I have no guarantee that British government and Irish governments will say, OK, we're just going to continue. You've chosen to walk. We are not bringing this process to a standstill because of you. So he wasn't willing to take that particular risk.
2: And it ended up in a Nobel Peace Prize. But from his own point of view, and from his personal point of view, And uh, from his political point of view, it was a huge sacrifice. I mean, he was lambasted as a traitor. There were protests, vicious protests. There were bodyguards. It must have really hurt David Trimble to hear people screaming traitor, traitor, traitor.
0: And not only screaming words of that significance in a Northern Ireland context, but, I mean, people, as my colleague Suzanne Breen wrote, um, singing about burning him, singing about shooting him, taking glee in welcoming the idea that his death may come. I mean, this this is someone who physically faced down his opponents, intellectually faced them down, um, faced them down in a way which I think it's difficult to envisage many... Leaders of any description doing there was a there was a comment um, from Bertie Ahern several years ago where he marvelled at whether anyone at whether someone in his position could have done what Trimble had done.
3: He paid a lot of price. He, he lost his seat in Upper Ban. Um, he, he got a lot of uh, criticism from the wider union's family. But you know, I had great admiration from. Them. This is a man, bear in mind, who who was doing what he believed to be the right thing. He was doing what he had committed himself to doing. He was doing what he had said exactly he was going to do. But for, I suppose, because we were at a point where they decommissioning had not been completed it hadn't been started the ira hadn't decommissioned the loyalists hadn't decommissioned he was been propped up by loyalist uh, paramilitaries uh, just the very fact that sinn fein would be in the storm assembly that sinn fein would be in any future government that was a tremendously difficult sell so difficult in fact that people like um, Jeffrey Donaldson were, were, were walking away. That people who had been loyal to Trump for years, and people who had been connected with the party for decades, were walking away from him. Um, and yes, he got the he got the Nobel Peace Prize. But you know, it it destroyed, and, and I think that's not too strong a word. I think it destroyed the Austrian word. I don't think it will ever recover. But you know what? I th- what I think is important. Two things may be worth remembering in all of this. Um, it's a cliche to say, uh, you know that. Um, there are people alive today who wouldn't have been alive without the template. But that is true. There are people, had had we not, had Trimble not followed through and completed that peace process and created the circumstances whereby normal politics could become possible. It might take longer than than he would have liked, but it could become possible. It, you know, if that was all his legacy was, then God knows how many people are alive now who wouldn't have been alive if the, if the, the, the terrorism had broken out again.
2: We've seen many unionist leaders over the years. Was it a question of timing or can you imagine another unionist leader delivering that result?
0: That's a very interesting question and an utterly impossible question to answer. But I think that what we can say about David Trimble is that he came at a point in history where he at least had the opportunity to do this. The IRA was war weary. They knew by this stage they couldn't win in military terms. The British government and the British state was also war weary. They knew that they couldn't be beaten, but they probably couldn't win in military terms either. And there was a weariness among the population that had not existed, for instance, at the time of Deal. People at this point were exhausted of the killing. They were looking for ways out. Trimble realised this. He had the intellectual capacity to grapple with some of these extraordinarily complex constitutional concepts. His background was as a law lecturer at Queen's University. He revelled in the minutiae of these things. He revelled in um, being able to fit that into the big picture. And so he was somebody who was able to at this point do something that some of his predecessors, whatever their intentions could not have done he was also someone who had a rare uh, stickability in politics, he was dogged he stuck at this for seven years he arguably sacrificed his career to stick by this agreement when he knew that it was going to um, cost him his seat in the House of Commons which he particularly valued and he was able to at each stage of the process eke out just enough support within his own party and within unionism to keep going he was never secure um, and yet he was someone who um, was able to limp along in a way that I think contrasts very significantly with the late Ian Paisley and yet when he did his seminal deal with Sinn Féin he only lasted a matter of months and he was ejected by his own party Trimble managed at a much earlier stage of the process when when this was much rawer, when the IRA still had weapons when they um, were still killing people in parts of Northern Ireland, um, when and there were all sorts of things going on that really unnerved a significant section of his support base. He was able to limp along for seven years.
2: I also spoke to artist Colin Davidson, who has painted perhaps the definitive portrait of Lord Trimble.
1: I was welcomed into his home. I was going there to draw him, to paint him. And uh This was the first first thing that really struck me was how um, warm Daphne and David both were. Uh, We talked a lot about his interest in classical music and uh, opera, and that kind of formed the basis of me getting to know the man. I obviously had impressions deeply in my own mind of who he was and what he had achieved, but... In some ways, in making the painting, I got to see the side of the man who was the home man, the man from here. We talked about here. We we talked about his love of this place. And all of that was what I I really hope uh, I built into the painting. The painting that Queen's commissioned me to make very much is of a man at a certain stage in his own life you know, his political career is no longer as active as it used to be. What I sensed was a reflection on his part. And, you know, it certainly offers for me, and I hope it does for everybody else, an alternative view of the David Trimble, um, sadly, towards the end of his life. And, um, you know, allowing us to completely reassess the huge impact that he made here.
3: To introduce
1: you to two men who are making history, making this history. Two men who've taken a leap of faith out of the past and into the future.
2: On a slightly lighter note, I suppose, I can't help asking, what did he really think of that Bono moment?
3: Oh he hated it. It was it, <laughs> I'm not even hundred percent sure he would have known who both Bob was. Uh, but I mean the Trimble is a man who enjoys opera and Elvis Presley. Um, and suddenly been done. And also I think I remember talking to him privately about it years later, didn't I, in the assembly campaign. And I think he thought it had to be done and the advice in doing it was was, was the correct advice because it was a, he was trying to connect with, with the young, but both he and John Tube in their shirt sleeves and their belts, I think, I can't remember one of them with braces on. It was just one of those slightly nap and comfy. it was like your dad turning up at the school disco, you know, you're trying to go say, here, let me show you my moves. It just doesn't work. But, you know, it got headlines all around the world, Bono, huge, you know, media, music star. And I think there was just this feeling, it was like the, you know, the the, the, the was it the Brian Kennedy song, and you know, all the Van Morrison stuff. It's trying to create images that interconnect younger generations, people who weren't voting, people who were just having their first vote, people who had, I just don't know, parents trying to say to their kids, that line about, you know, uh, I wish it could be like this all the time, I, th- I say it was a naff way of doing it, but I think it had to be done and that, and Trimble would have been uncomfortable because as I say, he wasn't the sort of guy who did that sort of thing, but uh, he had to do a lot of things over the years, which I think he was uncomfortable with. But. He did. Uh, do you know something? He, he, he's open to criticism. I, I will not deny that. But with his credit all the way through this, he did what he genuinely believed was in the best interest, knowing the risks for unionism, knowing the risks for his own party, knowing his own personal psychological risks involved. He did it not for a Nobel Peace Prize, not for a first minister. I, I, I genuinely believe he did it because he thought it was the right thing to do at the right moment, and uh, that maybe just maybe. Or the gods and conditions and circumstances would conspire and produce a new Northern Ireland. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame them, and nobody should, because the very people who criticised them most, you know, in 98, 99, so on, the very people who couldn't look at them eye to eye, who couldn't even have a civil word with them when they walked along the corridors of the assembly, the people who would whisper traitor as they passed, people who wouldn't even hold the door open for them. Many of those people ended up sitting around an executive table. It was something he never did. He never actually sat with and he wouldn't have if he'd had to do it he would have done it. But he never sat for the Sinn Fein, you know, deputy first minister. He never sat with this full Sinn Fein cabinet things like that. You know, so the very people who criticised him for doing that ended up doing it. And I think, you know, when I asked him once about that, he said, "Well, do you know something? At least they're doing it, and maybe in doing it for a while, they will find some way of of, of taking the journey further than I was able to take it."
2: As a leader, um, perhaps he wasn't a Carson or a Craig or a Paisley, but he wasn't an O'Neill or a Faulkner either. He is, seems to have come out of the other end of history. Really, seems to be a winner. Certainly, looking back now.
0: I was really struck in the hours after David Trimble's death by one of the comments from someone in the back room of the DUP, the most significant backroom figure in the DUP at the time were those parties, the Ulster Unionist Party and the DUP were um, really in a rancorous, um, locked in a rancorous contest for supremacy within unionism and it was Richard Bullock um, who was the key advisor to Ian Paisley and to Peter Robinson in that period and Richard Bullock in the wake of David Trimble's death said that he had been one of the most um, consequential leaders of unionism in the history of Northern Ireland and that is high praise coming from someone who was completely opposed to the Belfast Agreement um, who worked against it who worked against David Trimble and I think that there there is an acceptance across much of unionism and much of Northern Irish society that whatever they think about David Trimble whether he was right at the time whether um, in the outworkings of the agreement he could have negotiated more negotiated better done things in a different way that he has secured something that has endured for a quarter of a century it is the constitutional architecture of Northern Ireland, it is something that now even the opponents of that agreement such as um, Jeffrey Donaldson at the time, now present in their defence when it comes to things like the Northern Ireland Protocol they cite the Good Friday Agreement, the Belfast Agreement, as a bulwark against um, what, what might otherwise happen to them as Unionists, that is an extraordinary achievement.
2: And uh, finally, uh, Alex, he he perhaps wasn't comfortable on the stage of Bono, but was he in his comfort zone in later life in the Lords?
3: Um, I don't really know. Um, it wasn't that we'd lo- lost touch, but most of the communication we had was, was more by email and text and things like that. Um, as I say, he wasn't a particularly clubbable man. If you want to know what David Trimble was really happiest, it was either sitting quietly reading a book, and it could be all sorts of books. Somebody reminded me in an interview today that they'd seen him sitting on a plane reading the latest Harry Potter, not as some sort of show, but because his children were probably reading it at that time, and he just wanted to, you know, he just wanted to sit back and see what was interesting them. But you know, it was when he got home, it's when he closed that door with his wife Daphne, with his children, because we've, I mean, it, it's worth saying again about Daphne Trimble, you know, it, it was a bit like Pat Hume with John. Neither of those men would have been the men they were, would have taken the risks they were, would have taken all the, the, the burdens on their on their shoulders had it not been for the huge support they got from their wives. And Daphne was always there. I remember, oh, I saw the footage when um, when he was standing, he had just lost his seat in, in Upper Ban in June 2005 and he was being heckled and kicked and spat at. She could have left it to the security to put him in the car and take him away. She could have just, you know, a she stood with him. And that was the thing about Daffy. She was at his toughest times. She was always there with him. So when you talk about, you know, you know, D- Trimble, David Trimble winning a peace process, prize David Trimble winning a Nobel Prize, David Trimble been a Nobel and so on, you know, they really should be doing joint things for, for the wives in cases like that because they go through every single blow themselves. Every, every hurtful article, every hurtful criticism, every spit, every snide remark, Looking back now, how proud are you of what you and the other
0: parties achieved that day? Well, in the months and years leading up to that day?
3: That was the greatest thing in my life. Was, still is. You can't add anything to that.
2: Alex Keane, Colin Davidson, Sam McBride, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. Clips from AP, RTE, UTV, BBC, Channel 4 and Sky.
0: When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.